Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. This is Radio Maria. A very warm welcome this afternoon. I'm Edmund Zengeni and this is Credo. And for all our regular listeners, it's our dear friend and expert on all things biblical. It's Mr. Derek Williams here again once more. Good afternoon, Derek. How you doing? Hey, Eddie. I've just launched an online petition for your listeners to rename this from Credo to Deco. <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> which is number nine now we're in of um your series on the sabbath rest and if i'm not mistaken today you're going to be focusing in on uh, john's pentecost is that right that's right we're going to be looking at john chapter five right and um it's the, yeah john's so it's, a new, it's a new testament focus is it today or well, yeah, the last few weeks, if you've been paying attention, <laughs> which I always you'd have, do, you'd have noticed we slipped out of the Torah mm. and into the Gospels. That's right, I have actually. So you're, we're going to continue down then. Well, uh, I don't let me disturb any more. I don't want to take up any more of your precious time or our listeners' precious time. So I hand over the airwaves to you, and in about fifteen minutes, pop back with a song that you've already lined us up with, and maybe open up the phone line. So okay. the floor is yours. Thank you, sir, or the airwaves, as it may be, indeed. So, good afternoon, listeners. And if you've got a Bible handy, uh, open up on John chapter 5, headlined in my Bible, Jesus Heals on the Sabbath. And we're just going to take this, uh, open this up a little bit and um, maybe have some new angles on what happens here in this beautiful feast. So John 5 begins, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to stop right there, because in that sentence, there's quite a few things I want to draw out. Um, first of all, the phrase, after this, in Hebrew, oh, sorry, in Greek, meta tauta or torta, depending on how you want to pronounce. I think it's torta, meta-torta. Um, there's no punctuation in the Greek, and there is no John 1, John 2, John 3, John 4, John 5. All this division was introduced by a monk some 1,600 years ago. Uh, so you won't have John 5, verse 1. Okay, That didn't happen in the original manuscript. So John has kind of broken up his gospel a little bit. We're introducing this metadata, this after this phrase. You'll find it in John chapter 3, and you'll find it later on, I think, in, if I'm right, it'd be around John 8 or 9, John, John 6. 
It's six times, basically. Six times John uses this phrase in his gospel. And then if you get to the book of Revelation, John uses exactly the same phrase again throughout the book of Revelation. And it's usually, introduce, it's usually there to introduce a new theme. <clears throat> so in order to introduce the new theme, I just want to talk you through a tiny aspect of what happened in the end of John 4. Okay, the last few sentences. It's the healing of the official son. And it says uh, in verse 52, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the son was cured on the seventh hour or at the seventh hour. Then we start a new narrative after this, the metatorta. And this man is cured on the seventh day. So you have this seventh hour, seventh day. In verse 53, it says the father knew that was the hour. Now, it's the father with a small f for father, as opposed to a capital F when Jesus talking about his father. But <clears throat> throughout that narrative, the father is called an official or, um, yeah, just the official or unofficial. In that sentence, it says the father. And look what it says. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. Okay, so there's a, a subtle direction towards the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the father knowing his son will live, of course, because his son is fully alive. <clears throat> in verse 54, excuse me, in verse 54, this was now the second sign. This is where Jesus, John closes the Nazareth. Okay, this is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from. Judea to Galilee. Close of narrative. Then there's a metatorta. John introduces a beautiful new narrative, and Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he's about to introduce the third sign. So the second sign has just concluded, and now the third sign is opening up, and it's a new narrative, and it's a new encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And after this, a metatorta, there was a feast of the Jews. Um, so straight away, we have an interesting reference back to the Torah and the slight distortion that John has introduced to the situation. Because if you read the Torah, the feasts belong to the Lord. It says in Leviticus 23, 24, 25, these are my feasts. These are the feasts of the Lord. But John tells us that this is a feast of the Jews. Worth noting that John's gospel was written probably in the late 90s AD and the Jerusalem temple had been destroyed and therefore the Jews were unable to celebrate the feast of Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles because there was nowhere for them to make their sacrifices. The temple had been destroyed and they were exiled. So John is sort of looking back and saying, look, this was a feast of the Jews and Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to attend the feast, probably for the, I don't know, 28th, 29th, 30th time, something like that. Because don't forget, Jesus is 33, and his parents took him to Jerusalem. And it was a, an obligation. It's an obligation for all Jewish men to go to Jerusalem three times a year. So Jesus would have gone up at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, being able-bodied. So off he goes yet again to Jerusalem, 
Um, and then John explains the narrative. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, which um, one way of translating that is house of mercy. Beautiful um, concept of this house of mercy, which has five porticos, the five porticos symbolizing the five books of the Torah. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who'd been ill for 38 years. So Jesus has probably walked past this man multiple times each year for the last 30 odd years because he's been there for 38 years waiting. And by the way, this pool, I was checking out, I was checking it out. It's recently been excavated and apparently it's about the size of a swimming pool, quite a big pool, um, if, I, if, I'm, if I got the dimensions right. Um, when Jesus saw him and knew he'd been lying there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Um, so what's Jesus doing? He's provoking him. And my first thought was, Jesus is stirring up the waters of his soul. But I thought to myself, no, it'd be the other way around. Because whenever Jesus speaks, Jesus brings peace. So Jesus is calming the soul. The chances are that the man was already anxious. He was already stirred up he's wanting to get to that pool he's wanting to be healed but there's always someone who beats him to it he never gets into the water and he's been stuck there for 38 years he might have been in a state of despair or hopelessness or sadness and fear and misery you know crippled lame with all these other people around him who are all the same it's not going to be a it's not going to be a very hopeful situation so jesus speaks the word and calms do you want to be healed giving him maybe hope and the sick man gives his problem. The sick man. Now notice that in at the end of the John four, um, it's an official. In John five, it's the sick man. Okay, it doesn't give us any other identity. Not like blind Bartimaeus, uh, or even blind Bartimaeus. In fact, he's only called blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus isn't his name. Slight digression which I'm allowed to do. I'm in charge. So blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is the Hebrew. Bar, meaning son of, Timaeus, which is his father's name. So Bartimaeus. So his actual name was blind, if you think about it, in the Gospels. His actual name was blind because he was blind Bartimaeus, blind the son of Timaeus. Here we have a man simply called sick. That's all we know of him. He's simply called sick. He spent his whole life lying next to this pool, sick. And he says to Jesus, I have no one, to, no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. It's his soul which is troubled, and Jesus has come to heal it. While I am going in, while I am going, another step stand before me. Now look at the beautiful twist on the words. So in my Bible, the word down is directly above the word rise. Okay, so you've got, I am going Another, while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus says to him, now, Jesus' word of healing, one word, rise. Rise. That's the word that heals the man. Um, one word does it. Uh, the word is egeo, to arouse. So the man is aroused. Take up your pallet and walk. And at once, at once, the man was healed. At once. This is the creative power 
of the word of God that we need to learn to place our trust in. Jesus speaks that word and immediately the man is healed and he takes up his pallets and walked. And straight away, John reveals to us, okay, he hasn't revealed this yet. It comes in now, okay. You can allude to it because there's a feast of the Jews and all the feasts have got Sabbaths on them. So he's built up that narrative. But it isn't until the man starts to walk that John says, now that day was a Sabbath. And he's kind of like now preparing us for the conflict, the confrontation between good and evil, which we have to ourselves be ready for. And the Jews say to the man who was cured, once again, nameless, the sick man who was cured, okay, if you like, nameless. It is the Sabbath. So that's the twice the word Sabbath is used now. The word Sabbath is used four times in this paragraph. Okay. It is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. They're not saying it's not illegal. It is illegal. They're saying it is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. Now, it's worth noting that when John was writing this gospel, there was nowhere for the Jews to make their sacrifices. And therefore, they, their, their life, if you like, was based more around synagogue and Shabbat, as it is today. The life of the Jews today is all about synagogue and Shabbat. It's not about sacrifices because they can't make any. If you go back a thousand, if you go back a thousand years before this incident, then it was all about sacrifices and commandments and the Sabbath played a part. But the Sabbath now is central together with um, Torah and synagogue. So the Jews say to the man, it isn't lawful for you to carry your pallet. Well, he answered them. The man who healed me said to me, take up your pallet and walk, which are the exact words that Jesus used when he healed him. The exact words. I was reading in a commentary. Did Jesus tell the man to take up his pallet to provoke? Was he say was he trying to get a reaction from the Pharisees who would have been in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost? Because it wasn't necessary for the man to take up his pallet, but he did. And that was what got the, caused the trouble. And Jesus wants to provoke in order to cause us to think, question things through. Okay. Um, the, the, man, uh, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus has withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Then Jesus found him in the temple. Oh, I just want to pull back on something here. I said to you earlier, that the temple had been destroyed around 70 AD. So when John is writing this, there is no temple. And the, the narrative focuses around several things. The narrative focuses around the temple, where they are. The action is all happening in the temple and Shabbat. Jesus personifies both of those things. He is the temple. And it is only in him that we find our true Shabbat. 
It is only in him that we find rest. Come to me, all who all you who labor. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It is only in union with Christ that the soul can find a place of rest. You take a look at this man who has lain on his mat for 38 years. For that duration, his intent was to get off the mat, to get into the water, to be healed so he could move. He wanted to break out of this unholy restlessness, which can be the case for many, many of us. We can have an unholy restlessness in the soul that Jesus wants to cure and that prevents us from actually relaxing and resting. And Jesus wants to cure that unholy restlessness so that we can become a living temple and we can really rest in the presence of Jesus. Now, when we talk about rest and Shabbat, the external physical rest is your starting point. You're actually aiming for an interior, spiritual, soulful rest. What does that look like? So I'm digressing now onto this bit of mystical theology for you at no extra cost. So what does that look like? Um, <clears throat> at the moment, when you go down to pray, you're probably going to have your, your brain going crazy with all the thoughts whistling through it. You're probably going to have some anxieties and worries. You're going to have some lots of desires and passions, depending on your character type. Um, so you're going to have all these things which are stirring up the waters of the soul and stopping you from just sitting down peacefully and having a quiet prayer time. When Jesus... Um, who is our Lord and Savior, comes in. He brings in the Holy Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit is the master of the interior life. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings in to the soul the power that enables the soul to truly rest. Because the reason why the soul isn't resting is because it's weak and wounded. And it's a bit like this man laying crippled and wanting to be healed but being not being sure how to get that healing not too sure how to receive the healing power of god which is available to it and often like the like the lame man here he's looking at something exterior to cure him the waters and he's looking at the reasons why he can't access those waters now, we can often look to something exterior to cure us after a stressful week, a glass of alcohol, um, after a, a difficult day, and a time in the gym or some antidepressants or a sleeping pill to help us rest, some other form of medication. Um, there's all sorts of things we're going to be looking at to cure the soul when really there is only one way that the soul can be cured. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the power of the Holy Spirit and he speaks his word into the soul and it calms the soul. All the passions calm, all the desires calm, all the anxieties and fears are at rest. And the faculties of the soul themselves are at rest. I think this is what St. Teresa of Avila calls the prayer of quietude, where the soul becomes completely still 
and at rest. Very powerful contemplation where you're actually not doing anything. It's real prayer. This is really powerful prayer, but you, the human being, are not doing anything. You are completely at rest in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is Shabbat. This is a profound spiritual Shabbat that the Lord Jesus is calling us into all the time. And I bet many of you who listen to this right now are thinking either I've had that or I want that, which is a clear sign that God is calling us into it, which is what John Paul II believed in, as did some theologians of the 20th century. They believed that this would be the century of the mystics or it would not be. Um, now, I want to just keep going just for one more minute before I pass on to the very first song, which is my one of my favorite ladies, Rebecca St. James, I think I've got as my first song today. A beautiful voice. <clears throat> now, Jesus, in verse 16, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he did this on the Shabbat. He healed a man on Shabbat, and therefore he was, they were persecuted. Jesus knew that was going to happen. and Jesus, But Jesus answered them. My father is working still. So Jesus is not doing what the crowd wants him to do. He's doing what his father wants him to do. That's it. That's the narrative. I'm not interested in what all these thousands of people want from me. I'm doing only what I see my father doing. The consequence is that whereas Jesus came to give life and life to the full, the Jews at the time wanted to kill him. At that point, I'm going to hand over to Rebecca St. James for a beautiful song of worship.
This is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome back this afternoon. You're listening to Credo here. And we're live with Derek Williams speaking today on John's Pentecost. This is the ninth instalment of Derek's kaleidoscope of a series on the on the Sabbath. We've been through the uh, the Old Testament, now we're in the New. And uh, I'd just like to say you've uh, unpacked that first bit very well. It's such a quite a deep and difficult um, concept to uh, to lay out, but you've explained it very clearly. And uh, appreciate that uh, that simplicity that you've got. Thank that you, you, Ed. Can, uh, Thank you, you can... very much. Let's hope the readers do. Let's hope the readers, all the listeners, for that matter. <laughs> let's hope they think it's it's unpacked as well as well. I'm sure they do. Remarkably quiet. So maybe we should throw out the number to them and see if we can make them up. Well, why think. not? Okay. Yeah. The number is oh one two two three three seven five five six four. That's 01223-375564. I'm going to hand back the airwaves now to Derek. Thank you very much, Eddie. And uh, listeners, just want you to be aware we are talking about Pentecost and Shabbat. So if you've got any questions about either of those topics or something even more awkward, then I'm happy to have a debate or discuss with you. Um, not that I've got all the answers, but if I haven't, I'm happy to hold my hands up in the air. Now, we've cl- we've cleared part of the narrative, which began with that beautiful metatorta phrase, after this, okay, there was a feast of the Jews, the feast of Pentecost, which would be a feast of the Lord, which is the third sign that Jesus does, the healing of this man. We then get to verse uh, 19, which is where we're at, where Jesus is now, once again, talking about his father he's constantly bringing the conversation back to the father in the gospel of john and i just wanted to bear in mind this is what jesus is talking about on the sabbath on the on pentecost knowing in fact this was written like i say uh, some 60 years after the ascension and therefore uh, the fire of pentecost has come so John is writing it with that in mind. So Jesus says to the Jews gathered and to us, truly, truly, I, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. So we're talking here about the second person of the Trinity. And he's saying that the son can do nothing of his own accord. If I turn to John 15, just take me a moment, or even John 14 for that matter. If it's John 14 or John 15, oh, it is John 15, my apologies. Uh, Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's us. That's Jesus telling us, which as fallen human beings, we should get a hold of that and recognize that this is the issue. The only problem is we've got the sin of pride to deal with. Jesus was perfectly humble. And therefore, he recognized that he could do nothing without his father because it was the father who sent him. And the same with the spirit. Yeah, we have got pride. We think we can do things disengaged from the creator. But actually, nothing that we do disengaged from God will give life. God gives us breath. He keeps us alive. He keeps us in being by the power of his very word. And if I was to turn back to John 3, this is the testimony of the last and greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Okay, this is one of his sentences. John 
in John 3.27, John answered, No one can receive anything except what is given him from heaven. So John saying that no one can receive anything except what is given him from heaven. And Jesus says the son can do nothing of his own accord. Um, he repeats it in verse 30, just in case we didn't get it. In verse 30, I can do nothing on my own authority. This is Jesus, the son of God, talking. This is a lesson we really need to learn. Uh, and I don't know how to... I, I can't overemphasize this lesson. In John 5, Jesus says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. So this is the one that Saint John Paul, Pope St. John Paul II said of him. Christ is the only one who teaches with authority. And yet he says, I can do nothing on my own authority. So the authority comes from the Father, just as everything that Jesus does says here in John verse 19, only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all, shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Now, I just want to point out something here. Once again, this is the Feast of Pentecost. What is probably one of the main purposes of that feast? In the Catechism, it talks about when the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, it completes the Easter season, and the Holy Spirit reveals to us the Trinity. Trinitarian life is revealed on the Feast of Pentecost. And that's precisely what Jesus is doing here. He's revealing part of Trinitarian life. He's revealing to us his relationship with the Father, the fact that he's gone around first century Israel. He has raised somebody from the dead in John 4. He has raised somebody off the mat after 38 years of being a cripple in John 5. And he's saying, I'm not, this isn't my work. This is the Father's work. All I'm doing is joining in with what the Father's doing. So there is this incredible harmony between the members of the Trinity, this incredible unity, which is probably hard for us to comprehend. There is no dissension. It is perfect peace, perfect love, perfect union, one will in operation between the three of them, where the Father has sent the Son to redeem and to save humanity, to bring healing to people. And the son just needs to, the, the father shows the son what he wants him to do. And the son does what the father tells him to do. And out of that relationship flows all the healings, the miracles, the deliverance, and even rest. Where the father calls Jesus to one side regularly to rest to be on his own with the Father and the Spirit. And Jesus says something. He says, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him. And if you were to flip out to John 15 at some point, I think it's in John 15, certainly that area of John's Gospel, you'll read the sentence, 
greater works shall you do because I am going back to the Father. Jesus wants us to do greater works. And you might say, well, why, why would Jesus want us to do greater works? Well, because when Jesus was on earth, he functioned under the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant. He did not function under the new covenant. The new covenant was not established until Jesus died on the cross. So Jesus was subject to the law, which is what Paul teaches us in the letter to Galatians and others. He says he was subject to the Torah, to the law. And though, so he did all the healings and miracles under the old covenant. So he's saying to us now there's a covenant with the world. This is why Jesus was restricted to the people of Israel, because the covenant was with the people of Israel, not with the English or the Spanish or the Italians, etc. It was with Israel. But then when he dies on the cross, there's a new covenant established. That means that now the gospel and God's power can go through the whole world, which is why Jesus, when he rises from the dead, says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore. And now the people of God can spread out across the world because it's a new covenant. And therefore, greater things can happen than happened when Jesus was on earth. And I could tell you some stories about some incredible miracles that have happened over the last few decades um, in respect of this evangelization program that Jesus talks about. But I'm just going to go a little bit more and then we're going to head back for our second song of the afternoon. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, there's an interesting narrative that is there that you need to pick up if you read it slowly the father raises the dead doesn't that mean they're alive because then it says and gives them life so the the, the life bit is separate from the raising of the dead how, how how so take a look at the raising of lazarus in john chapter 11 it's an interesting narrative because um, in it, let me see. I'm just going to quickly find it just to get, just to make sure I get the wording correct. Okay. Um, he's at the tomb and he's, he's, he's going to call him forth. Your brother will rise again. And Jesus is like, oh, there it is. Take away the stone. And it says, where is he? There it is. There's the narrative. Verse 43 of chapter 11. Okay. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So Jesus is speaking to a dead man. And he's not saying, come back from the dead. He's simply saying, Lazarus, come out. Now, the problem here is, when Lazarus rises from the dead, he's still dead. He has not been baptized. He has not had his sins washed away. He's not filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's raised from the dead, but he's still dead in sin. If we go back to John 5, the Feast of Pentecost, the Father raises the dead and gives them life. 
which is the power of the Holy Spirit in our catechism. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. That life is like what I was talking to you about earlier when we go to pray and all the passions which have a danger of casting, driving us into sin are put to rest and the life of God comes alive in us. And what does it do? It gives us such peace and rest and interior silence and stillness. Now, on the topic of that interior silence and stillness, I'm now going to pass you back to Reddy for our second song of the afternoon. Radio Maria, very warm welcome back. That was Rebecca St. James. And you're listening to Credo here live. We've got Derek Williams on the line, and he's been giving us very interesting talk on the Sabbath, which is the whole theme of the series, and in particular, John's Pentecost. So I'm going to hand back over now to, to Derek. You've had a little break there. Thank you, Eddie. Yeah, nearly had time to go and get myself a cup of coffee, but I'm going to have to be happy with just sitting here and watching you do what you do in the studio. It's an insight, interesting sight, viewers, you listeners, you want to see it. <laughs> You've got to get um, out more often, you know that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I'm on John 5, verse, uh, verse, verse, verse 25. I really need to, I thought I'd been to Specsavers once. These numbers are so small. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear 
will live. So this is kind of referring to baptism, if you like, because the dead are those who have not yet been baptized and therefore they're dead in sin. And this is something really worth getting a hold of when you meet people who aren't Christian or people who aren't living out their Christian slash Catholic faith and they're immersed in sin. They're dead. They're separated from the life of God and they are dead. What's going to bring them back to life? They will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will live. Sometimes when we are evangelizing, we can try to get into debates and arguments about pretty meaningless stuff and try to convince people with philosophy and so on. Paul says philosophy, by the way, has got its place. It's the good stuff, so I'm not discrediting that. But Paul says, when I came to you, it wasn't with wise and persuasive arguments, but with a demonstration of spirit and power. And Paul's power came from the word of God because it's the word of God which causes life to happen. You know, I once again remind you of John chapter 5, verse 8. Rise. That's all Jesus had to say. Rise. Take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed. That's the power of God's word bringing life where there was death. Okay. I'm now going to skip on to um, a part of the, this narrative called The Testimony to Jesus. I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, I'm not going to read all of this narrative. I want to go to verse 36. The testimony which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the Father has granted me to accomplish. Now, this, don't forget, is being spoken out on the Feast of Pentecost. And each one of you, when you were sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit at confirmation, you were invited to join into the mission life of the church, the ministry life of the church, because you now had all, this, all those sacraments of initiation were now complete, and you were sealed with that gift and an increase in um, the grace of baptism. So you had a fresh fire in your heart, in your soul. And the Father then gave you a task to accomplish. This task is given, uh, and it usually comes with a new name. So when you were confirmed, you took on a confirmation name, indicating usually the, the name of a saint, but indicating a kind of a mission that God was going to entrust to you which God had held for you from all eternity. Ephesians 2 verse 10. You are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared in advance that you should walk in them. That's what, or live in them. So God has granted Jesus work to accomplish. God the Father has granted you works to accomplish. And these very works which I am doing 
bear me witness that the Father has sent me, as he has sent each one of you. And the Father who has sent me has himself bore witness to me. Now, I want to point out some things here. His voice, the word voice, you've never seen. His form, you have, sorry, his voice you've never heard. His form, you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. So he's taking this to the people, to the Jews who are dead. But to you who are alive in Christ, his voice you have heard, his form you have seen, and you do have his word abiding in you. And if we were to flick back to the Torah, which I'm actually going to do because I love, I, I think about it and I think, shall I, shall I, shall I, shall I? And I think, yeah, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to go to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, round chapter four. On that day, you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word. So remember his voice you've never heard. Well, here we've heard we're hearing his voice. That I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live upon the earth, and they may teach their children so. Verse 12, the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the words, you saw no form, there was a voice. Look at that, look at that in John John 5, okay, John 5. His voice, his form, his word. Deuteronomy, his voice, his form, his words. Okay. They all sat there, and it's fire. Okay, verse 15. You saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. The form they saw was that of a fire. And then he goes even further in Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a devouring fire, a consuming fire. And this is the what the word of Jesus is. The word of Jesus is a consuming fire and if we can let that fire penetrate us through just prayerfully sitting in that word it can work a wonder in us just as with that man the man the sick man who's unidentified and he was just on the mat waiting to get into water and jesus says rise and the man is instantly healed and he becomes fully the man he's supposed to be at the right time. Remember, Jesus had passed that man for 30 years or more. He's passed him. And the interesting thing is, um, Jesus has also been passing another man year after year after year, which in Acts chapter 4 or 5, Peter will say to him, Silver I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. So Peter does the same as what he saw Jesus doing in virtually the same place with the same method. The power of the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it has the same impact. The man rises up. And he goes dancing into Jerusalem temple, just as this man in John 5 gets up 
and goes wandering around the Jerusalem temple, something he hasn't done in 38 years. Okay, now I've got to watch my timing because we've got one final song for you all. And I'm going to talk you through this one. We're going to say a few prayers for you as we as we listen to um, a song called Arrows from Bethel. I've done Eddie's job. I've introduced him. <laughs> That's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. And here it is right now. So we're just going to pray for everyone who is out there now as this song plays through. It's a beautiful song by Bethel. And I'm going to pray the words of this narrative that uh, we've been listening to. I'm going to ask the Lord Jesus to come to each one of you now. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, saved, healed, transformed. So we're calling on you, Lord Jesus. And I'm going to speak the word of life into the hearts of everyone who's listening. And I'm going to say to you, good people, it's time to rise up. It's time to rise. The dead shall hear the voice of God and live. And that life, that living, comes to a deeper intimacy with God, the mystical life of prayer. And I'm going to speak that to you. Time to rise. Time to start walking into that interior castle, into that place of profound peace and rest where God is waiting for you as your bridegroom. Rise and walk. Hear the voice of the Lord in your heart. God is calling you deeper, to a deeper interiority, to be fully alive in Christ. Fully alive. Came that they may have life and life to the full. Thank you, Lord, for the fire of your word, which brings peace to the anxious, rest to the weary, and silence. In the midst of all this noise, I just pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out afresh upon all who are listening. May the fire of the Holy Spirit penetrate to the core of your being, and may it be that fire which draws you in to where God is waiting for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Derek, that was wonderful. Thank you ever so much again. It's always lovely to have you on, and I love the fact you you end it with a nice, a, a deep prayer for for all our listeners. 
So uh, bless you, Eddie. Bless you too, my friend. Bless you too. Yeah. See, you, see you again soon. Thanks, Eddie. Love it when the plan comes together. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> God bless. God bless you. Bye bye now. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.